Fancy Feast invites you to Gatto Bianco, where they're going to serve you some cat food-inspired dishes. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash, an off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbutton. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Tim Bennett. Find us on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays, look for the Focus Group, which drops on Facebook Live and YouTube at the video portion, that is, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And the audio is always available at focusgroupradio.com. In fact, all the information about us and both our shows is available there, including our partners and sponsors, one of them being Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. And they've been with us here on TFGM Button since the beginning. And we would love to have you visit them by visiting us at focusgroupradio.com, clicking on their logo and start some shopping. And we'll talk about them a little later in the podcast. So welcome to uh, the middle of August. Yeah, like the two middle weeks of August. This is like dead zone. I think we talked about this last week, right? Isn't this when the Europeans all go on vacation? Yeah, and and August. most of Manhattan, like all of the advertising and marketing crowd, is is out to lunch right now too. <laughs> I'm guessing it's the same, even if it's remote work. That you you basically like, yeah, it's it's August, it's time to take off, right? Well, I was talking to some friends that still drive into offices, and they said that the traffic the last week and uh, and earlier this week has been two and four from the commuting has been been light. However, don't try to go out on a weekend or. Uh, you know, the traffic is uh, is pretty heavy, but yeah, crazy. Yeah. So you watch the news as well as I did over the weekend. You know, the um, the we all everybody's buzzing about um, the uh, FBI's visit to Mar-a-Lago to retrieve what they've been asking for for months, highly yeah. classified and top secret documents, which overshadowed the passage of this amazing bill the Democrats managed to push through um, through reconciliation. But, you know, on the, uh, the and by the way, I, if, if you're listening and you're probably as tired as I am of, of Trump, I just I just wanted to I just want it all to go away. Like maybe we could slip into an alternate universe where that family doesn't even exist or something. Well, my, just, the latest know. one I heard, which I loved, he sounded like Kim Jong Il. You know, he worked very hard for the people. They would always show these old North Korean, public, you know, PR publicity sort of propaganda films. They would show these huge government buildings with one light on in the top corner. That was where the dear leader was doing work. Uh, okay. And so I, I heard the latest excuse was he was so busy, he would take work home, and it must have got mixed up in their, in their haste to leave the White House. I thought anyone who believes that, well, anyone who's believed any oh. of his nonsense. All the people just, parked outside Mar-a-Lago uh, in support of him, they all believe it. But I, I want to say something about this, that Bob and I were talking about this on the back porch, and... Bob was wondering what he did with it. You know, he was asking all these questions. Yeah. And I said, you know what? The only question that really needs to be answered, and I'm upset with journalists for not going at this this particular one with yeah. a drumbeat that is ceaseless. All the smoke, all the mirrors, it comes down to one central thing. Why did he have the documents in the first place? They were not his property. He was made aware of that when he was sworn into office. They sit down with you and they tell you what the procedure is for these documents and how they are the property of the United States government, which means we all own them as well. So when I watch like a news thing and I see some Republicans spinning up something, I just I yell at the TV and I'm like to the reporter, right. ask this fundamental question. Why did he have them in the first place? And ignorance and is do, not a defense. 
No, it is not. And then he, oh, Barack Hussein Obama had 30 million. Yes. They were under lock and key and an archive managed by the national. <laughs> well, all just, presidents have documents that have left, but you're exactly right. They, they go to the presidential libraries. They're under a secure, secure uh, guard. And if you mm-hmm. want to access them, you've got to go through the proper process of accessing them. Even Obama at his library or Clinton or the Bushes uh, or Carter, you've got to go in and sign them out and look at them at the library with somebody there with you if you wanted to refer to something. These these things aren't just loose around like he makes it sound like no. all this friggin' stuff. It's so aggravating. And uh, Well, I, I'm aggravated by the fact that no one is just like Michael Beschloss, who you've seen a couple times on MSNBC, his, his uh, presidential historian. He's the one that says it repeatedly. Like I've watched him a couple of times. He like, you know, all this other stuff. He goes at the end of the day, why did he think he could take them and put them in boxes in Mar-a-Lago? Why are they in his possession? Period. I don't, you know, I don't want to know about how he would walk up to the residence to have hamburger and French fries right. and they would automatically magically be declassified when they left the Oval Office. <laughs> like, you know, there's stamps and there's a whole pro forma thing, right? So I don't know. That's why I stopped watching Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, because he allowed so many of these MAGAs to come on here and just spew nonsense and not question it. And, you know, somebody needs to say, well, that, that's just not true. And I'm not going to oh, let you well. come on here and say that. You know, the only one who did that one time was when when a Joe Scarborough threw Trump off the air when he was running. And they, they said to him, Donald, that is not true. You know, that's not true. Don't say that. And if you don't, Say it. If you don't come come clean, we're, you're never coming on here again, and we're going to throw you off right now and go to break. And they went to break, and he never was I on again. Again, yeah. but there was some moron over on CBS this weekend. They did a thing on Mayberry. Oh, I watched. That's a repeat, by the way. That right. was a repeat. But those no. idiots on the trolley that didn't want to look like they were dumb, which ended up looking like they were dumb. They, um, when, I love that man. But yeah. when they said that there were busloads, you know, what happened on January six? Busloads of Black Lives Matter people coming. Not true. It is, and why someone just doesn't say that is not true. Yeah, well, critical thinking is absent, etc. Yeah, and on the meet the press thing, Andrea Mitchell was subbing for, um, you know, uh, sleepy talk, sleepy chunk. She let this Republican ramble on and on about all the different. We need to know why they did this. We need, and I'm thinking, no, we don't. don't. This is called rule of law. They have all they did. You better believe that Merrick Garland crossed every T and dotted every I. And don't you think that they sat in a room for hours discussing what, how is this going to play out yeah. when we do this? How is this going to, and then he's like, well, he's a, he has his rights. He's a citizen of the United States. He's an ex-president, but we're going to follow it to the letter. Anyway, um, you know, I, <laughs> happy summer. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have three articles for you today, folks. Um, and the first one uh, is a article that's related to the uh, the Florida don't say gay bill, although they always scream and holler and call it the parental rights bill or whatever, the parental rights and education bill. And the headline reads, after don't say gay bill passed, anti-LGBTQ grooming rhetoric surged 400% online. In the weeks following the bill's passage, an average of 6,607 tweets a day use slurs such as groomer, pedophile, and predator in relation to the LGBTQ community. So uh, research was done by a couple of organizations, and this is how, and they actually looked at social media, and they looked at it prior to the signing of the bill, like I think it was announced in um, March or something like that, and it was signed, it took effect in July, or was signed in March, took effect in July. 
And they just looked at the rhetoric online around this stuff and, and also what happens when people complain about it or if you, if you, you know, say to Twitter, these are, these are all things that people shouldn't be saying. Apparently, the social media platforms have a lot of amnesia when it comes to banning th- things, <laughs> especially when it's a paid advertisement. Um, but I think the, the net net of this article is, uh, um, so is the, CEO, the Center for Countering Digital Hate is the, is the main one here. And, and one of the things that fascinated me about this was they looked at all these different tweets, but 10 people, just, just this is the thing that blows my mind. Basically, 10 people were responsible for the whole, like a huge volume. And it was Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Christina Peshaw, who's the press secretary of Ron DeSantis. Their tweets uh, and about seven or eight other people were reviewed and estimated 48 million times and were responsible for driving the grooming narrative. That, that just blows my mind. Yeah, 48 million times, but it was only, you know, 48 people that were legitimate, uh, yeah. legitimate profiles on Twitter. I mean, as you said earlier, Twitter's a cesspool. Yeah. And <laughs> in order, you know, my thing on this whole whole issue, I, I loved how the, the secretary, what's her name, Pushaw or something? Pushaw, yeah. From DeSantis, had claimed that they never labeled this, they never labeled groomers or pedophiles or anything. Uh, they never attached that to the LGBTQ community, that they did that themselves. And so she was trying to turn it around on them. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. You know, once again, allowing them to control the narrative. And here's where I disagree with Michelle Obama when she said, when they go low, we go high. No, go lower. And I don't know why we don't call these people comrades. I don't know why we don't, you know, comrade Cruz. Comrade, you know, Jim Spandex, Singlet, Jordan, Marxist, Marjorie Green, Bolshevik, Bobart, whatever you want to call them. Um, and well, you got, you got that list figured out. <laughs> well, you start labeling them. Well, I'm just thinking of, you know, anti-communist you know, communist things and, and call them communists. Their friends, what did they used to call Moscow Mitch, remember? Um, oh, he had that, you know, he hated so, that. But, you know. and, but continue that. Let them defend that. Let them start defending that. The fact that you're in bed with Russia, you didn't like that you were going to, you were rooting for Putin in Ukraine. So you're advocating um, going low. Interesting, well, well, or you're advocating not necessarily going low, but you're advocating taking one of the pages right out of the Russian playbook, which is what aboutism. Yeah. So somebody could say, you know, this bill is not about, you know, we're we're not we're not we're not targeting LGBTQ people. Then you just change the topic completely. And say, well, what about the fact that you're in bed with Putin? Or, or no, okay, comrade, okay, comrade, <laughs> okay, socialist, okay, socialist Holly, or whatever you want to call them. You know, commie. Com- I, I think or- I think it's. When I read this piece, I think it's important to note um, that, of course, they're doing the research in sort of a vacuum chamber, which is these like meta, which would be Facebook or Twitter. But at the same time, um, you know, if the rhetoric, if it's like Velcro, if it picked up people that quickly and people started spewing it and repeating it and believing it, then I hate to say it, um, but part of me thinks that, that that's just like scratching the surface ever so gently and right beneath it lies all the homophobia and all the other crap that people have been quietly not talking about or, you know, what I'm getting at like I, for, for it to have any traction at all, it, it, it had to have had it, it's fertile ground, right? Yeah, well, you can't be smart because if you try to use an intellectual argument, it will never go anywhere. So you kind of just have to go to their level and put throw them off balance. And that's what I would do. But yeah, I, I, I think you I think you could. But I think also that these people just generally, you know, 
there's a like for instance on an unrelated thing you know the alex jones trial about the sandy hook families um there's like this grandmother in the midwest that's been interviewed a couple of times and she's basically been spewing contacting all the families telling them that they don't have children that this is all a lie it's a false flag and they interview her she says i've done my research for 10 years i've done my and they're like well where have you done your research online <laughs> okay einstein all you need to know right so uh so there we go. There's been an uptick. Oh, why in, would you give her time, right? I mean, that's the issue. Why would you even give her time? And if you're going to give her time, call her out. Because we're, we're, we've gone so far away from journalism. And, and you mentioning uh, Andrea Mitchell letting somebody just spew a bunch of nonsense on Meet the Press. I don't, I'm not sure Tim Russert would have allowed that. But no, just no. And, and he, he was a big fan of like, hey, this is the truth over here. And I don't know what you're talking about. Right. All right, our next piece uh, concerns something that we've all seen happen from time to time, and that's uh, the headline reads, Researchers warn bachelorette parties in Provincetown are destroying LGBTQ plus safe spaces. And the head, subhead reads, we know that of this story because we know how gentrification works. So they're calling this trend hetero, heteroification? Heterification. Heterification. Heterification, yeah. And it's the idea that, and you know, P-Town sees this a great deal because the bachelorettes come down from Boston or something and they'll take over the A-House or they'll take over the Crown and Anchor, whatever the space may be. And, you know, I think once or twice, that's kind of funny, but this is, they view this as their safe space too, because they don't want to be ogled by, you know, straight guys and, and after, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll take pictures with a leather daddy or something as if it's some amusement park or something, but. The idea behind the research is that these these things are caustic and toxic to the fact that we've created these safe spaces for ourselves. And, you know, these things happening like the bachelorette parties are kind of just like, you know, what, what are you doing here? Right. Well, they're being taken over. So they and they, yeah. they they made the they made the correlation of when a lot of perhaps uh, gay or lesbian bars were based in either places of color in cities where there were more probably. Uh, more rundown or whatever, and then the bars opened up, and then white people came in and took them over and gentrified the area, right? So they're saying that this is similar in that these spaces were created for safe places for LGBTQ people, and with these bachelorette parties, instead of gentrification, they're calling it heterification, that these safe spaces are now being appropriated by these straight, mostly straight, well-educated white women that, are, that don't want to be you know, touched or oogled on by the, by the straight guys. Uh, I, well, you remember the last time we were in P-Town for the for, for road trip and we were talking to some of the bar owners and one of them specifically was like, well, the place is changing. We got these bachelorettes coming in all the time with limousines and stuff and, you know, never know what night they're going to show up on. And, and it's just kind of weird. They stopped it here and limited it to some places. Of course, we don't have any. We certainly don't have the level uh, anymore. Um, like P-Town still does. P-Town is probably the only place left that still has uh, out-and-out um, gay and lesbian bars, I, I think, other than New York City, but I mean as a resort area. But my big takeaway from here, which I was surprised about, because they said they want to go to the drag bars, I said drag queens told researchers that bachelorette parties are their main source of income, with yeah, fewer that, members <laughs> of the LGBTQ community attending the shows. And I thought, okay, is this, they're not attending the shows because the bachelorettes are there? or you know what is I, I was shocked by that, or is this the RuPaulification of of drag queens because drag queens have become so mainstream with RuPaul's Drag Race that uh, and, and you could you could shade that a little bit too. Like so, the drag performances that you and I used to see at the post office or up in P Town, for example, or down in Philly, 
Um, and this is before RuPaul. It, it, there was an edge to it. It was comedy, right? Um, the drag oh, very queens much usually. So. Hilarious. They were very funny. They would pick someone in the audience. They would sort of playfully pick on them, the whole bit. Um, I don't equate that to RuPaul's Drag Race, no. by the way. RuPaul's I, I Drag Race is gone. They think it's a cool. competitive show. Glamour right? gals. It, yeah. yeah, and it, it's all about over the top. It's challenges. It's the it's the performances. But drag for for you and me, at least when we first started going to it, when I still can never stop smiling around a really funny drag queen like Lady Bunny, for example. Well, and the great like names that. that they used to have too. I mean, the Petalette is you know uh, uh, Satellite Dish, right, Two Lita, <laughs> Toledo Pepsi, Sandy Beach, you know, uh, Anita Mann. I mean, there was there was lots of lots of great names too. Now they're stupid. Now the names to me don't even make sense, um, but I guess we're getting old. So um, if you've seen this happen in different parts of the country, uh, specifically if you've been traveling to P-Town or you've seen some of the bridal parties come in or something, it's not your imagination. It is a trend, and it's, uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting vibe, given that a lot of a lot of people don't mind, but there are a lot of people who do mind. <laughs> They'd like to have their space be their space, you know, and I... I kind of get that completely. All right, I teased our last article um, at the top, which um, is kind of a fun one. So the cat food brand Fancy Feast is opening up a pop-up restaurant here in the New York City, and it's called uh, Gatto Bianco, the white cat. And uh, it has four tables, and it's only the restaurant's available for two evenings. This is that's why I think this is kind of funny. And they have the chef who actually I think created some of these. Uh, the fancy feast is fancy feasts, new line of, of pet food for cats. Uh, they're going to, they're going to serve people versions of that food. It's a limited time Italian style trattoria. And it's celebrating the release of fancy feasts, new medleys line for cats in parentheses by serving a menu developed by their in-house chef, Amanda Hasner and restaurateur Casare Casella. Again, they put in parentheses for humans. <laughs> so you're not eating cat food. You are eating human food, but it's in the fancy feast Gato Bianco Cafe. I think it's kind of a funny idea. I think it's disgusting. I, do you really? I, oh my god, I do. I there's nothing that smells worse than opening a can of cat food or a can of dog food. Well, no, no, it's, a, it's no cat food. No, it's I know, inspired but, but by, I, I yeah. know, but it's it's like inspired by Charmin toilet paper too. You're gonna go show up. I I I I I find it kind of gross. I don't know. I I wouldn't go eat it. Would you go eat? Well, here's some, here's a here's a menu sample. Uh, uh, culinary exploration for cat lovers, and later courses will include baked sea bass, asabuco inspired salmon, Tuscan style spare ribs, braised beef in a wine sauce, lemon penna, penna cotta, and almond cake studded with chocolate. It, its resemblance to cat food is almost nil, but I I suppose the flavorings or what they're saying inspired the new medley line but i i would i think it's kind of hilarious myself yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't think i'd sign up you know a, a place i always wanted to go but i think they're closed now kellogg's opened a restaurant near times square and all they served was cereal <laughs> their cereal right <laughs> like, like and people people would go and have like lunch or dinner which is consisting of a bowl of cereal, bowl of cereal and i think a few other things ten dollars yeah. they're probably making a fortune <laughs> No, it said here that this helps cat owners understand how their cats experience food from flavor to texture to form. And I thought, oof, cat food is just kind of mushy. And I thought, are they serving you like a, a little, you know, formed patty or something? I don't know. I just, 
I would probably go if you said, hey, let's go to this. I would go. I just think it sounds gross. But that's just me. Well, how do you like the last paragraph? It's strange that no one has done this kind of thing for dog owners yet. But I guess the pairing of a peanut butter filled bone with a hint of worn out tennis ball doesn't sound quite as inspired as Tuscan style spare ribs. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gato, uh, Gato Bianco. I wonder what it costs. Only- it wasn't cheap, from no. what I can tell. You, it's. I think it's booked up. Um, and in fact, it already happened. According to some of the dates, have already occurred because they're only doing this over a couple nights. Right. But um, anyway, there you go, folks. As I mentioned at the uh, top of the podcast, Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, has been a partner of ours here on TFGM Button since we started on Button, and we want to thank them for being with us and encouraging you to visit them as well by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Critics' Choice video logo and begin your shopping extravaganza. It's everything under the sun. I always start by, um, well, I always encourage people to request a catalog. It's upper left corner of their menu structure on the homepage. Um, It comes every five, six weeks or so. And uh, I call it nonlinear heaven because I just flip through and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that show. I want to see that again. And by the way, um, a couple articles came out recently. And one of them was like, what happened in my favorite movie was the headline. And it it was an article about how don't take for don't take for granted that a movie that is on a streaming platform is going to be there forever. So hence, that's my big pitch for package media. (laughs) Did you see anything you like this week? Well, I, you know, in my quest to um try to become more film literate because you know i'm horrible in many regards you know i've never seen casablanca have you seen casablanca have i seen casablanca <laughs> yeah like i can't even count the number of times we I don't know where it. you find um, time for all this i <laughs> it is it is a holly it is one of the most classic movies i know okay i know haven't seen it anyway you can get it in blu-ray for under 11 dollars it's uh it's, <laughs> just been re- are you uh, ordering released. it you know i need to i need to i i would like a list of 50 movies i need to see or or 40 you know remember gone with the wind godfather casablanca i haven't seen any of these i know of them but i haven't sat and watched them so i think i need to do that there are a couple things i wanted to do this year that was one of them uh, one of them was to read more which i i ended up reading more online which i i don't like and uh and then there was a couple of other things i was going to do i'm not going to tell you because you'll laugh but um well, I'm, I'm still stuck on you haven't seen Casablanca. I, I you know, and then and your list and also is probably rolling over and out out west and in, in California listening to this from. Uh, yeah, Lauren. Lauren is our, our wonderful contact at Critics Choice. And uh, she, by the way, <laughs> screaming at the computer right now because she has she, if you want a recommendation for anything, you just type a note to Lauren and say, hey, Lauren, I'm fresh out of stuff to watch what do you recommend yeah. i think within six minutes you'll get back a list of try this try this try this yeah. but i also heard in your list of movies you hadn't seen was uh the godfather yeah yeah and she sent me that she had sent me the godfather oh yeah yeah no that you got the complete set i mean yeah. you don't yeah, yeah wow. okay i'll leave it there so you can find everything <laughs> that tim hasn't seen which is pretty much anything that critics choice has something i haven't seen other than maybe ferris bueller's day off or fried green tomatoes so head over to uh, focusgroupradio.com and click on the Critics' Choice video logo. As John mentioned, it's America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. It's a great place uh, to find hard-to-find um, films and, and other sorts of media, as well as uh, collecting some favorites and uh, giving them as gifts as we, get, as we march toward 
uh, holiday and gift giving time, which is right around the corner, John. Everybody's got their stuff out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hey, thanks for joining us. And uh, be sure to uh, find our show, The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash on Wednesdays. You can find all of our media and where it is uh, broadcast and housed at focusgroupradio.com. Everyone have a great week and we'll see you on Wednesday. Take care. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.